Okay, good morning. Uh, today is Thursday, March 11, 311. And um, this is episode 49. It's the gecko. E- episode 49 of the discussion, reading, and commentary on MP Pandit's translation of Chittakash Gita as Voice of the Self from Nityananda. Last time, uh, I completed um, reading through 96 to the top of 97. This time, uh, I'd like to read um, page 97, and I probably, and then do commentary on the new material, which is 97. But by the end of page 97, we get into a massive uh, verse or um, text that goes from 97 through 98, through 99, through 101, after a picture, into towards the end of, nine, of 102. And then after that, there's one more verse, uh, 102 to 103, and that's the end of the text. And so we're getting close to the end. Uh, what I might do today, I'd like to make certain comments on um, the summarize what uh, some critical principles that that are getting more clear to me from all of this teaching, <clears throat> and then uh, read the verse on ninety seven and comment, and then if there's time, do the enormous verse uh, from ninety seven through one hundred two, uh, but not do much commentary, not probably not do any commentary on that because it's too long and next time is better. So um, it's getting more clear to me as uh, here as a preface summarizing uh, what I think seem to be essential principles that Nityananda's teaching, which is his, um, his perspective on uh, Advaita Vedanta teaching, theory and practice. Uh, theory... Uh, with a theory of practice or a description of the nature of practice and theory associated with the fundaments of spiritual path um, which uh, support practice whereby practice leads to realization whereby realization confers liberation <clears throat> and that's the heart of a spiritual um, uh, doctrine um, theory of self and path, theory of practice and the recommendations and guidance for practice, the um, discussion of uh, realization from practice and the nature of that goal uh, of liberation, achieved attainment of liberation, be, uh, attainment of realization being liberation, mukti. So there's yana as realization, the yana that leads the awareness, leads to the condition of satchitananda. I mean, we're talking about freedom from the octave, okay? So it's pretty supreme goal um, specified here. And that satchit, um, truth, um, awareness, or boundless uh, awareness of, uh, boundless awareness of reality beyond any maya, beyond any desire, beyond any subjectivity, beyond any need for reincarnation, beyond any false identity 
or false sense of self, which is that subjectivity, beyond all the fetters and beyond all the dimensionalities of the octave, um, one arrives at satchit. And that is yana, that's realization. And uh, you can say that's supreme self, you can say that's jivatman at one with paramatman, you can say that's nirvana, nibbana, nibban, the deathless, the birthless, complete and perfect enlightenment, the end of the path, the end of evolution, the end of birth and death, the attainment of the further shore. Um, I don't see any contradiction whatsoever between core teachings of Advaita Vedanta from Nityananda and Ramana Maharshi and Adi Shankara, actually, and Gautama Pali Buddhism, Theravadan tradition, uh, which is the root of all Buddhism, nor, nor the Ramatero. So, okay, we know that. One point that I think is important is, um, so, so there are certain qualities of mind, I talked about this yesterday maybe in the discussion of Chongzhu, <clears throat> the Chongzhu, <laughs> translated by Burton Watson. Uh, uh, some of the foundational qualities of mind or qualities and attributes of the seeker uh, are well specified here, but not you know, put together in some kind of ordering, like the ordering of um, vir- you know, virtuous uh, qualities of mind in Buddhism. Buddhism has a lot of lists, as we know, and Nichinanda was not listing, he was speaking freely. Yet some of what he said um, could be listed or uh, organized, um, categorized or classed <clears throat> into um, into certain into cer- in certain ways that that help understand it, help um, us comprehend what he means or what he's saying. And in terms of fundamentals of the path, uh, where I what I see is um, uh, dharma and vairagya and faith shraddha and bhakti devotion particularly those four and so in the world we do what we must do we fulfill rightful obligation responsibility that's called do your danda that's fulfillment of dharma personal dharma but that needs to be done with some detachment with some renunciation of attachment. It's not renunciation of preference. It's renunciation of attachment to preference. Everybody likes the four worldly winds that are pleasant. Everybody doesn't like the four worldly winds that are unpleasant. The four pleasants are gain, a pleasure, gain of any sort, uh, gain of what you want, <laughs> and praise and honor. And the four unpleasant winds are loss, pain, pain and loss, <clears throat> blame, and dishonor. All right. Nobody will really be free of those preferences. It, 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 and <clears throat> differentiation is not surrendered. One doesn't surrender rightful discrimination. Discrimination means discernment, and that's buddhi. And so, <clears throat> in, in many ways... Uh, one needs, you know, you know, there are a lot of qualities that are co-arising, co-dependent. To be able to determine that, um, 
there's a critical foundational importance to dharma, responsibility, and vairagya, renunciation, detachment, dispassion, disinterest, and faith, shraddha, faith that there can be attainment, that I can make it, that there is path, there is attainment, there is improvement, uh, uh, there is um, the possibility or likelihood that uh, of a reality to what I've not yet fully experienced. How the hell do we know what <clears throat> Satchitananda is? I don't. You don't. <laughs> you don't. Whoever thinks that they do, they don't. You don't. Because you're not there. Of course, most normal people will say, of course I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they know because I'm not where they are, as they are. But we can't have faith, and we can have faith in ourselves, and we can have faith in the <clears throat> efficacy of practice, and we can have faith in the efficacy of morality and the law of karma and the rules that uh, virtuous conduct leads to, generates merit leading to positive consequences and <clears throat> harmful action, wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood, so-called, lead to uh, depolarization on the positive path, <laughs> leads to trouble coming in. The, it sets up the necessity for harmful catalyst or traumatic or challenging catalyst. So we can have faith in what we haven't fully experienced and faith is critical and then <clears throat> also bhakti. So faith is a sense that um, my bhakti is rightful. <laughs> there, is a, there is a valid basis for bhakti, bhakti as devotion or love, which is really um, the heart of seeking, I'd say. You know, again, this is my take on his take on path and uh, practice and attainment and qualities of mind required for path. But it seems to me you've got <clears throat> uh, perhaps faith and, and uh, bhakti even start. You've got uh, some sense of longing for something better, for freedom, knowing I'm not free. I'm in dukkha, baby. Yeah, right. You're not out of dukkha till you're out of the octave. Dukkha doesn't mean screaming agony. Dukkha means dissatisfactoriness. So, yeah, uh, I experience uh, shades of dukkha regularly, but I has faith that there's a, there's a solution, there's emancipation, there's a liberation possible. That's some faith um, supporting my bhakti or devotion or seeking or longing. How then to make that emancipation, liberation, greater freedom, and reduced dukkha? Well, then we've got <clears throat> uh, the various teachings on practice. And there's the practice of conduct, and then there's the practice of sadhana or meditation. They're not the same. So the practice of conduct, Gautama explains as, you know, Panchashila, and the Hindus as uh, Yama Niyama, what not to do, what to do. And that's very much, Nityananda boils it down to um, Dharma, <clears throat> and um, vairagya, and then sadhana, practice. And um, determining all that requires buddhi, or discrimination, or discernment. And discernment requires some degree of heart chakra activation. While discernment is very much Blu-ray, fifth chakra, Vishuddhi chakra, Vishuddhi is king, baby. This spiritual path is Vishuddhi maga, the, the path of purification is the Vishuddhi Pag, you know, we're talking uh, Abhidhamma. Uh, so, path of purification, so-called translation of Vishuddhi Maga, book, text, 
Buddhaghosa, I believe, uh, core Buddhist Abhidhamma commentary on Pali Kanan, Pali Buddhist teaching, uh, really is the path of fifth ray, <laughs> Vishuddhi Chakra Maga, or Marga, or Marg. <clears throat> and that's the whole thing, because uh, you can't, we, we can't, we can't even, you know, nobody can even listen to what I'm saying or determine if there's any truth and value in what I'm saying without discernment, without fifth ray activation, which requires fourth ray activation, which requires some willingness to feel the pain that I've made for myself associated with lower triad blockage. <clears throat> my, pre- my attachment to preferences, and, and particularly my sense that I must have things the way I want. <laughs> much, much of this catalyst of 3D incarnation is not having uh, circumstances the way we want. Not non-fulfillment of preference. Fulfillment of preference, frustration. <laughs> my preference, fulfillment of my preferences are regularly frustrated. Welcome to Earth. And so that's just the way it is. <clears throat> and so uh, knowing that uh, requires some discernment. And uh, developing discernment requires a willingness <clears throat> to feel the pain. What pain? The pain of this mind. The pain of this mind. This mind in this life. doesn't mean it's, again, it's not screaming agony uh, moment after moment. Rarely that. But you know, dukkha really means ru- uh, um, pit- core dissatisfactoriness essential, intrinsic dissatisfactoriness of the transitory, of the impermanent, and of the insubstantial. All fulfillment, like all phenomena, perceived by the unenlightened mind as the characteristics of anicca dukkha, meaning impermanent, imp- transitory, uh, selfless, or insubstantial, sunya, empty, and dukkha. And so it's dukkha because it's anicca <laughs> That's how I see it. <clears throat> and so, uh, but even conceiving that requires fifth ray activation, requires fourth ray, heartful willingness to feel the pain of this mind, of daily life, of action-reaction, of normal mental processing, normal mental emotional flow. And so then if one is willing to feel the pain and be honest, a commitment to honesty is what allows that green reactivation, which allows or confers willingness to accept the intrinsic dissatisfactoriness of mental emotional flow. Physical too, of course. Physical, mental, emotional flow. Uh, basic phenomenal experience. Uh, <clears throat> then buddhi grows. And then we can discern rightly what is to be dropped by vairagya, what is to be fulfilled in association with do your dharma and danda, do your danda and and rightful dharma obligation. Uh, we can also rightly direct bhakti uh, rather than um, idol worship. Uh, or a cult of joining cults of personality, the living Buddhas, and my teacher, the perfect uh, enlightened being, 
who just happens to have a scandal or two. Rather than wrongful direction of bhakti, we can have rightful direction of longing-seeking bhakti. But, but along the way, you've got this interesting combination of manasic and buddhi functions of mind, both in play. So, uh, <clears throat> that's an introduction. On 96, page 96, uh, Nityananda talking about uh, O mind, O mind, um, makes an interesting juxtaposition without, you know, uh, calling attention to it. Uh, in the middle, he's saying, the inner peace be attained, liberation be attained in equality of look, equal sightedness, so um, one, oneness vision. May, all the, universe, may <clears throat> all the universe be seen as free. But then he goes into this very, very fine discernment, distinguishing. Then he says, the body is the engine. Knowledge, or I think uh, maybe not yana, is the stream. Discrimination, buddhi, is the movement. Faith, shraddha, is the rail. So um, along the railing of faith that liberation, excuse me, that knowledge and realization and liberation and freedom from dukkha is possible, on the rail of that faith knowing, movement is made by buddhi, discrimination. And the power for that continued movement is knowledge, which is yana or vidya, maybe it's vidya. Vidya means real truth, <laughs> understanding, not complete yet satchit, but um, the building up towards completed satchit. Vidya is the stream, or s- stream. Uh, I don't know if he meant steam, maybe. Anyway, <clears throat> vidya um, is not just the end of avidya, at the end of the path, but also the vidya of being able to say, I I, I don't have proof, but I know these things are true. Ra talked about truth without proof. So all spiritual notions that are unprovable (laughs) may may or may not be true. They can be true and unprovable, of course. Much, much, uh, everything that's today proven was previously unproven. But today, proven, it's known to be true. Uh, by those who trust human proofing. Meanwhile, uh, before it was proven, it was still true. It just wasn't yet proven. And so uh, there is increasing vidya, knowing mm, bit by bit, the knowing that my bhakti is balanced, and the knowing <clears throat> of um, where what, what my dharma is, my danda to do, and what um, ought to be dropped by Vairagya, or the difference between uh, preference and attachment to preference. (laughs) They're not the same. And that ultimately, I mean, this notion came to me yesterday, that it's really uh, what, what the hardest heart chakra activation is in the face of chronically not having circumstances the way we want them. We want our preferences fulfilled. We want our desires fulfilled. Normal. We have preferences, inevitably. We prefer when they're fulfilled, inevitably. The problem is when we're doggedly attached to fulfillment of the preference, ad- attachment to preference. <laughs> that, that, if that's true, <laughs> I don't know, I can't prove it, that would be known um, by buddhi, which then would constitute an element of vidya, knowledge. And then he said, body is the engine. So there's a heck of a lot of differentiation there. Body, 
knowledge, buddhi, faith. That doesn't look like a to- uh, equality of sight, equality of look, but it is. <laughs> it's the necessary differentiation um, that is uh, in the heart center of rightful knowing of unity. You know, unity is 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 um, at best <laughs> known by buddhi. That's fifth chakra, and so buddhi communicates the um, transconceptual nature of sixth ray awareness. Sixth ray awareness, the law of one. The law of one. It's kind of a goofy phrase even, because it's not a law, it's sat. Unity is sat. And so, meaning it's reality. It's not a law, it's reality. And so, uh, yet, that reality of one is known firstly or um, uh, inevitably by a, no, a, a right differentiation, by an awareness of you know what's called relative truth. So there's a lot of differentiation here. Let the train be driven aright, he goes on. The buddhi is the driver, and now he gives a different set of um, analogies or metaphors. The buddhi is the driver, the digesting apparatus is the boiler, meaning the, the digestion of the stomach or digestive system or the pranic system. The nerves are the screws. Let the train reach Atman by the path of buddhi, which is subtle, and attain shanti, peace. Okay. So that is that in harmony with equality of look? Yeah. It actually supports um, the yana realization that can be called or, or one way of conceptualizing it is, is this phrase, equality of look or equal-sightedness. But there's a lot of differentiation needed. And so he goes on, as the train moves on the rails, so let discrimination move on the path of buddhi. And so discrimination as buddhi on the path of buddhi. Uh, the path is very much associated with increasing um, differentiation, increasing discernment. And like we saw last time, he was saying two things. With buddhi, one can see one's strengths and weaknesses. So buddhi is not some mystical state of formless, uh, formless uh, dissolution. It is not a formless jhana. Buddhi is not a formless jhana, where any thought of identity, subjectivity is gone, which is uh, nice, but the mental functions are disabled in formless jhanas. There's just the swoon of perception of infinity, of space, of consciousness, nothingness, neither perception nor non-perception, the four arupa jhana, the mental functions are not working. Buddhi is not working there either. (laughs) Only after can one name it. But buddhi is not that. Buddhi um, is an equal-sightedness that sees the many and the one simultaneously. It sees the one in the forms of the many. It sees the nature of the many as the one appearing as many. It knows it can it can know that the many is one. Um, and and you know it, without without full seven dimensional vision, meaning you know clairvoyance way above the level of most psychics, the clairvoyance that Yeshua may have had or Gautama or Nityananda there. <laughs> non-physical sight, 
without that, um, it's a little bit more conceptual. And, and so if we don't have that, which I don't, <laughs> uh, to be able to see the seven-dimensional um, color array, Rob talks about that as higher self can see that, six-density beings can see that, fifth-density beings could see that, I think, Nityananda, Gautama, maybe Ramana Maharshi, maybe all sorts of uh, high-end yogis, Satwebu uh, Sayadaw, the Karmapa, Gautama, uh, maybe they could all see that, but I can't, and you probably can't too. <laughs> Seven-dimensional color spectrum, color array, array arrangement. Without seeing that, <clears throat> there's a certain level of um, knowing that the many is one and the one is appearing as many. There's a certain level where that's just theory or philosophy, um, but one can also have some tastes of it without that visual, physical, uh, non-physical visual experience. In any case, bottom of 96, he goes to another analogy or, or more um, differentiation. He says, as you see, both the rails and the train both appear to be joined together, but in fact, each is separate from the other. The rails are what proceeds according to nature, meaning seven, dimen- seven chakra, mind, body, spirit, beingness, totality, nature, the nature of the sense of what appears as a selfhood in the octave. Um, Ra said the original desire is that entities seek and become one. That's the purpose of the seven dimensional uh, energy fields of the apparent self and the uh, octave. The purpose is its own complete and perfect sublimation, enlightenment, um, leaving the octave. Its purpose is to fully develop itself and leave uh, this illusion of seven-dimensionality. He goes on, But in fact, each is separate from the other, the rails and the train. The rails are what proceeds according to nature, the path. The train, meaning us, (laughs) is what goes by way of subtle buddhi. So buddhi leads us on the path shake off the similar relation between Atman and the body by way or by the separation. Separation, right? So we're talking about mental uh, buddhi discrimination or buddhi run wise separation, differentiation, discrimination of subtle buddhi. So uh, shake off the similar relation between Atman and the body by separation in mind, in discernment. Separation of subtle buddhi it's the separation in understanding, comprehension, achieved through subtle buddhi and attain eternal peace, shanti. As the carriages of a train are joined together, let jiva and the supreme be one. So also cut asunder the qualities of physical body by means of equality of look. Let the jiva attain the abode of eternal mukti, liberation. And so there's a lot of um, discerning and cutting the discerning is buddhi, the cutting is vairagya. And so, uh, apply dispassion, to renunciation, surrender, surrendering. Surrender is an important word to understand uh, vairagya. And so, surrender, attachment to preferences, particularly preferred outcome. Preferred outcome means, I like it this way, <laughs> I don't like it that way. Fine, normal. Just don't get stuck freaked out. Just don't get stuck in, in uh, emotional turbulence associated with um, having uh, in, inevitably having outcomes we don't like. 
we have many, 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 many outcomes in life that we don't like. Countless. Every day. Every day. I drank my Starbucks coffee in the morning and my stomach is a little off at 11 a.m. So say some, so one may say. That's called dukkha. <laughs> that's not big, it's little, it's tiny maybe. But that's another example of non-preferred outcome. The question is, can we get out of um, any uh, strong emotional charge, which is uh, associated with attachment outcome? and the inability to surrender attachment to outcome, the need for, showing the need for vairagya, renunciation, surrendering, um, yet again, that um, we inevitably will face countless uh, non-preferred outcomes. It's not the way I want it. And it doesn't mean we should want what we don't want. We want what we want. We like what we like. And converse, we don't want certain things, we don't like certain things, fine. The, the question is to bring love, wisdom to the manifestation of our attachment to the preference, which is manifest by emotional charge. For the fully balanced entity, no situation would have emotional charge, said Ra, but would be a situation like any other in which one could observe an opportunity to be of service, said Ra. And so... <clears throat> Uh, the real <laughs> ones that are fully clear uh, don't generate emotional charge. Means they don't. They they have um, apparently <laughs> quite fully surrendered attachment to outcome, so they don't have an emotional charge, and that's you know a goal. But that whole situation can only be known by by subtle buddhi, and that happens continually. And so we have to know what we should hold, what we should drop. Right, samapadana. Uh, right effort, right um, exertion, that that teaching in Buddhism. What What is harmful that I haven't picked up, I won't pick up. What is harmful that I have acquired, I'll learn to detach from and let go slowly if I can. What is helpful that I haven't picked up, I'll try to pick up. What is helpful I have picked up, I'll try to cultivate and develop. That's it. And that's the fourfold right exertion. Profound teaching. In, in the uh, Eightfold Path. <clears throat> Profound. I, I think it's in the Eightfold Path. <laughs> but uh, profoundly important teaching. Very simple. <laughs> and that's Buddhism. Uh, a teaching of critical lists uh, for psychophysical uh, transmutation. So, but again, buddhi sees um, strength and weakness Within, we know our strengths and weakness, we know our distortion, and where we deserve some credit for development. Likewise, buddhi discerns where there's rightful obligation and where it isn't rightful or it isn't obligation. It's a fielder's choice. You know? You can throw it to second, you can throw it to first. Um, that's not obligation. In general, <clears throat> in certain situations, if there's an out, it's not obligation. However, um, uh, one should play it through because if one takes the door, when there's no door, <laughs> then obviously it's, it's danda or dharma to be fulfilled in certain situations. Where there is a door and we, c- we imagine how it'll be, should I take the door and exit the relationship, the uh, associated obligations of the relationship, 
if we play it out and think, you know, I'll be glad to be free of this, but I'll be very, I'll feel very guilty and regretful, remorseful, um, should I take the exit, then we know that we probably shouldn't take the exit and it is rightful dharma to fulfill, obligation to a duty, spiritual duty to fulfill. But buddhi determined, buddhi, by buddhi we know those things. Likewise, Nityananda said that buddhi realizes the fecundity, the um, great uh, fertility of mind, which really means that mind is a, is a hopping monkey. <laughs> it's a hopping monkey when run by the monastic function. It's a rich garden of uh, creative um, realization, wisdom. Wisdom, right? Wisdom is a kind of uh, flower in the garden, too. So by monastic function, uh, the mind grows weeds. Led by buddhi, the mind grows flowers, flowers of wisdom, flowers of uh, prajna. Uh, One uh, moves towards prajna paramita, or development of the prajna paramita, the virtue or the excellent quality of being called wisdom, which is um, uh, a a fruit or a flower or a lovely addition to the garden of mine. So, okay. (laughs) Now, let me read, maybe I will only read this, uh, the long, not not so long, uh, verse on page 97, and more uh, principles of path in Nityananda's view. Uh, Top of 97, Nityananda said, unifying the three, dhyana, which is sadhana practice meditation, mind, I think it's chit, and faith, shraddha. So unifying the three, dhyana, mind, and faith, through the subtle bindu, drop, merging in the center of the eyebrows, six chakra, attain oneness. Let the pure chitta be constantly well fixed in the omkara, the om vibratory fashioned, by the path of buddhi. Let the mind be steadied in the practice by the path of dharana and samadhi. Dharana as concentration, contemplation. Samadhi, one-pointedness. Let it be one-pointed. There is no other means except samadhi to fix the mind in the skyway. O Jiva, do thou enter the sky. To the Jiva who enters the sky, there is no such separate entity as the world. O mind, be freed from thoughts of body and form. Without sadhana, practice, it is difficult to firmly steady the chitta. To those who are always in samadhi, the body sense is quite separate. To those who are always in samadhi, the subtle and the gross are separate, like the seed of a dry mango separate from the rind. To those who always hold that, quote, I am not the body, end quote, there is no such separate thing as samadhi. For them it is always samadhi, absolute samadhi, samadhi in Shiva, samadhi of the inner merging of mind. To those who are always immersed in the sugar, immersed in the sugar of yana, realization, sugar is not something separate. For them, external action has no importance. 
yeah, so <clears throat> he's finished with the path. He's actually teaching union with Atman here, not the union of Atman or Jivatman with Paramatman. And that's not a problem, obviously. <laughs> it's beyond where we are now. It's the home base of Sixth Density Wanderers, which is Atmanic, uh, the station of Atman, Atmanic station, Atmanic consciousness awareness, like Ra said. We no longer seek light, we become light. But not the end of the path at all. But <clears throat> this um, is about, you know... Um, uh, achievement of what I would say is Bodhisattva in Buddhism. Atman is the true Bodhisattva. Atman is essentially Bodhisattva. The real Bodhisattva is Atman. How? Because um, At- uh, Atman has not yet left the octave. It chooses to stay in the octave for a while, <laughs> for the time it takes for it to be finished with its guidance of evolving mind-body-spirit complexes, or jiva, jiva beings, jivas, uh, moving from third to sixth density. So, the master of the temple stays as long as the senior, as the students need him, uh, but not quite. The master stays for as long as he feels he should stay. And to be with the students uh, in the temple. But when he's finished, and that, that's what the Bodhisattva does in the octave. And when he feels it's finished, he leaves and goes, and, and he, as Atman or Jivatman, um, goes up to Paramatman, leaves the temple, uh, as Chongsu said, leaps into the boundless and makes it his home. Leap into the boundless and make it your home, I believe Chongsu said. And so the uh, Atman will do that later. And so here he's talking about union of Jivanatman or attainment of Jivatman, unifying dhyana, which is the root of, of chan and zen, words, meaning uh, meditation or um, sadhana, I mean, you know, meditative practice, basically. I mean, dhyana as meditation or the sadhana of practice. I mean, there are many translations, but that's a simple view. Dhyana as meditation practice and mind, which is chit here and faith, and and actually, you know, um, this is a fine distillation of the work of the path too. Uh, by faith, which um, includes bhakti, faith that my longing devotion bhakti is well well pointed, is is rightful, is reasonable, is justified. Uh, faith and knowing. I mean, it's not just faith, but there can be knowing. It's not complete knowing, but there's some knowing, by experience, (laughs) that my bhakti devotion longing is well-aimed, is justified, is reasonable, not insanely uh, zealous, dogmatic, crazy, but also critical, and that my bhakti... um, is 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 a, a flame I should never um, extinguish. The flame of bhakti is critical, which is longing. You can say it's devotion. You can say it's simply devotion to your guru. You can say that it's love of the the goddess. But I think, in a larger philosophical sense, bhakti is the longing for mukti. That's it. 
its devotion and longing for release from dukkha and attainment of mukti, liberation, and um, <clears throat> to be all that we can be, <laughs> full self-realization, full realization of what I is. And, and that bhakti um, is, uh, you know, is in certain sense even a form of faith. So bhakti shraddha is shraddha. And mind, particularly, was going to be manasic and buddhi, those two functions, the manasic and the buddhic, are functions of chit, um, developing itself through dhyana, sadhana, dharana. Very straightforward here. And so, uh, based on faith, on, on bhakti, shraddha, devotion, longing, faith, uh, knowing there's rightful holding of, of, of fulfillment of obligation, dharna, dharma, and rightful renunciation and surrendering, vairagya, <clears throat> one proceeds on the path of buddhi, which means continual discernments, continual wisdom, Wisdom leads the road, baby. Wisdom leads love. There's no understanding of love without wisdom. There's no commitment to love of green ray without wisdom. There's no rightful comprehension of the role of love or green ray without wisdom. And that's all coming out of buddhi. Um, as the path, um, as the seven chakra path even. And then the advanced work is done in dhyana. And so unifying in the subtle bindu which is the drop or the seed or the point, which is the, the six chakra. Merging in center of eyebrows, six chakra, ajna chakra, attain oneness. <clears throat> Let pure chitta or mind become awareness. I mean, pure chitta is the intelligence of intelligent infinity. It's essentially that intelligence, that mind. It's actually second law, law of love, as Ra calls it, which is, I'd say, omniscience, omniscience, omnisentience. Uh, the true nature of mind or or mental mentation mentation is um, uh, awareness, which is transubjective, which is boundless essentially, and um, temporarily associated with the seven vehicles, the seven energy fields, seven chakras, what we call mind, body, spirit, called I. That's the eighth fetter, conceit. That's a, that's the ego, so-called ego, false ego false, the, the illusory <laughs> subjectivity that we all experience until we get out of six density, go to seven, Ross said, we'll be freed of identity. <clears throat> and so the pure chitta is um, the sky in which delusion and awakening occur. Let that be constantly well fixed in omkara, the sound, the vibration of the logos. <laughs> That is heard in six chakra, yes, indeed. But it's not a, it's not necessarily, I mean, I don't know. What the hell do I know? Whatever my understanding of it is, omkara is not necessarily some gong in your ear. But actually, um, the vibratory quality set of unity, the, the quality of the source of unity, right? Because we're talking about the source of chit or mind. That's omkara, the kara or karm or. Uh, creation of Om, which is uh, the seed syllable, <laughs> the logoic, let there be light, is Omkara. The the act of, uh, the logoic act of letting light be manifest in octaves is Omkara, as far as I know. 
and that is sensed or, quote, heard or known or touched uh, at the Atmanic level. And so, <clears throat> but um, there's no, he said, there's no other means except samadhi to fix the mind in the sky way, period. Without sadhana, it's difficult to firmly steady the chitta. Right. <laughs> and so, dhyana is critical. Dhyana is sadhana. Sadhana being practice or um, the way, praxis, practice or praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S, the way of practice, of some type of practice, <laughs> anapanasati or any kind of concentration, mindfulness type practice. There are countless practices in Buddhism and Hinduism. And um, they all take us up the mountain or they all transform mind to some degree, depending on what you put into it. How you do it. Let it be one-pointed. So achievement of one-pointedness is um, samadhi, which is attained to some degree or more or less or increasingly on the path of dharana, right? the path of contemplation or concentration. So um, dhyana, uh, meditation, again, all these words can be translated with different, many ways but essentially, dhyana as meditation is not much different than sadhana as practice. The sadhana, <laughs> the path of buddhi sadhana for uh, full transformation or purification of chit, that sadhana is dhyana. That dhyana involves dharana, concentration, one-pointedness. That is samadhi, or leads to samadhi, or is ultimately no different than samadhi. And he said, this, this is a point. You, you, can't, you cannot think your way to one-pointedness. You cannot think and feel your way to quiet mind non-proliferation. You cannot get there. And so people, it's, it's... Some people have a real hard... I mean, it's very normal. We all do. Um, sit hour after hour or even for some five minutes in meditation without the pain, the dukkha of um, the busy, unsettled... Um, thought-producing mind. The pain of this mind is felt keenly the longer we sit in meditation. The, the pain of this mind is the pain in mind of lower tribe blockage. Uh, it's felt more and more keenly the longer we sit. Uh, so, <clears throat> this is a lot of... I just don't like these guys' sound, you know? I have strong aversion myself. These guys, I like beautiful birds, but these guys are raucous. It's sort of like uh, Mr. Toucan and his family. So, uh, one-pointedness really cannot be attained. Uh, I mean, some people can do it. Like some scholars, some scientists, some academics can think their way to silent mind. Can think their way to one-pointedness. Can. It's just not that common. And even then commonly they almost never realize the illusion of subjectivity the illusion of the of uh, the, the, the illusory nature of the experience of and belief in my separative identity this sense of my separative identity me i me mine i and mine as nichanda said is almost never um, seen through the illusion, its illusory nature is never is almost never seen without sadhana, without practice. 
because we're talking about a real stilling that's needed. One-pointedness is also a movement uh, uh, towards stillness or is Ill, or the achievement of stillness, particularly um, uh, body stillness, <laughs> physiological stillness. Actually, that's the point. Uh, physiological body and mind to uh, monastic, really, monastic stillness. Uh, non-proliferation, silence of mind at a steady state, as Ross said. That, it's very difficult to achieve that without sadhana, without some kind of dhyana practice, without some kind of dharana concentration that leads to samadhi. Oh, jiva, enter the sky. And then he talks a lot <clears throat> about um, the soul who enters the sky. The sky here is the field of six chakra awareness, I think. And so... Hridayakash, 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 Heart Akash, Hridaya, Hridaya, is heart sky, heart field, heart space, in the third eye. This is the, the four six union, but actually a fully activated um, indigo ray, six chakra, uh, as would be for one to achieve um, uh, unity awareness at a steady state, not just silence of mind at a steady state in meditation for a while, but awareness of unity amidst diversity or, you know, um, differentiation as a steady state in the human body. Um, That absolutely requires some stillness of body uh, to have such uh, recognition. But but that is... um, very much inclusive of, uh, I guess, a maximal green ray activation. You know, you probably cannot have that that degree of uh, six chakra activation without a, a nearly perfected green ray uh, development too. And so, uh, calm abiding as one's lifestyle, uh, living in samadhi, a life, I mean, like where he was, to those who was always in samadhi. Right, he's always in samadhi. It's silence of mind as um, the normal state, not a steady state, (laughs) as the chronic state, as the default state, as the only state. (laughs) The only state of mind for those are samadhi. That's not me, but that's that's why, you know, (laughs) I can't say how it is for those who are always in samadhi. He's always in samadhi, presumably. Uh, but I don't know. <laughs> but uh, if if there's, uh, it's not just silence of mind at a steady state for a while during dhyana. It's uh, one pointedness, um, heart sky living as the default state, as the uh, continual state. It is a state um, for the being who's living from six chakra consciousness. We're not there, I'm not there, (laughs) but uh, the sky is actually the non-subjective field of awareness of six chakra, jivatman, not yet paramatman, but it's pretty good. And so it seems that when he says sky, he means the field of awareness or awareness that is associated with complete six chakra activation. And so, 
Hridayakash, the heart sky, means a full union of four and six. means in that, uh, you know, sort of nearly perfected six chakra, uh, <clears throat> uh, there's full heartful being too. So, complete love. But that doesn't mean you walk around smiling. He didn't. It doesn't mean he doesn't feel pain. He did. It doesn't mean he doesn't uh, kick out troublemakers. He did. So we have a very immature, most people, New Age people particularly, have a very immature understanding of Green Ray. It's Green Ray without much Blue Ray. So if you want to know something deeply, you better do it from the Blue Ray, including the knowing of love. And so that's the loving of truth. If you love truth a lot, you will more likely be able to discern the truth of green of love, the truth of the nature of love. You know, what is Green Ray all about? And it's not the same as sentiment or liking or feeling good. That may happen, but it's not um, always that. Particularly, <laughs> love evil. How do you love evil? Well, it doesn't mean you like it. It doesn't mean you support it. It doesn't mean you encourage it. I would imagine, <laughs> if I were perfected, <clears throat> it means... Um, a full acceptance of what it is, a full surrendering of mind to uh, knowing it as it is. That's it. I don't like it. I can judge it or blame it. But I also know it is what it is, and that's that. You know, Don't blame me. I'm a snake. You knew before you took me in, they said, or he said. And so, uh, I don't know. I'm not fully developed in love, so I don't know what what love is fully. <laughs> and I think that's the case for all of us. We don't know anything fully because we're not fully developed. <laughs> and understanding's not of this density anyway. So again, uh, <clears throat> you, you you won't see you won't you won't see any um, Advaita Vedanta teacher in the West or the East. Nearly none. Certainly none in the West that I know of. And there are probably none or nearly none in India as well who will at length <laughs> elaborate on how it is for those who are always in samadhi. Because they're not always in samadhi. Uh, you can imagine that he's just making this up because he, be he wants to be loved by uh, poor devotees in Kerala, but I don't think that's the case. It seems to me he was always in samadhi. <laughs> that's all. And that's why he can talk at length about it. So, um, but again... Without sadhana, it's difficult to firmly steady the chitta, the mind. <clears throat> uh, there's no other means except samadhi, meaning through dhyana and dharana, one-pointedness, to fix the mind in the sky way, six chakra, meaning mindfulness. Uh, one can't attain great development of mindfulness, non-grasping attentiveness, awareness, without practice dhyana, Dharana, concentration, uh, that leads to samadhi one-pointedness. So, <clears throat> anyway, down the page, he gives a couple of teachings on how it is for those who are always in samadhi. And so, again, we have this interesting <clears throat> juxtaposition of um, very subtle, very sophisticated understanding of separation and unity. So he said, to those who are always in samadhi, the body sense is quite separate. The subtle and the gross are separate, like the seed of a dry mango separate from the rind. 
to all to those who always hold that quote I am not the body. There's no such separate thing as samadhi. So for those who are in always in samadhi, there's no such separate thing as samadhi. So uh, <clears throat> separate, non-separate, <laughs> differentiated and unified uh, in in samadhi. In for that one, presumably, who's always in samadhi, their body sense is quite separate, which sounds like him saying, uh, the one that can always hold, I am not the body. There's a sense that I am not the body. That is the same as a sense, the body sense being quite separate. Quite separate means, I know I'm not the body, but I'm aware there is a body. <laughs> and it has its own process. But I'm not that body. But I'm not the samadhi either. There's no such thing as samadhi, he said. <laughs> so for those who know they're not the body, but we're not just talking about an intellectual knowing, we're talking about continual samadhi, not just the idea I'm not the body. So per se, it's beyond my ability to understand, and yours, if, unless you know how, what it means to be constantly in samadhi, always in samadhi. If you are, that's blessings to you, but uh, I don't think you'd be listening to me. So <clears throat> you wouldn't need to, or you wouldn't care. Who's this guy, Scott? He's not where I am. Why should I listen? So to those always in samadhi, the body sense is quite separate. The, he said the subtle and the gross are separate. So the gross is the body and the separate is a sense of identity or mind. The mind or buddhi which helps discriminate, discern the separate, uh, the, the distinction between the gross and the subtle. He's aware that he's not, you know, he's not the gross. <clears throat> so in samadhi, in always in samadhi, subtle and gross are separate. He knows them as distinct. The body sense is quite separate. Separate from what? Separate from the sense of um, their awareness or their nature. Then they would know I'm not the body, and that's associated with this quite separate body sense that they have. But there's also no separate thing as samadhi. So they're not identifying with the body, but they're not identifying with the samadhi either. They're not identif- To be always in samadhi, there, for that one, there is no separate thing as samadhi. Exactly. For the one in unity, there is no thought, I'm in unity. For the one in mindfulness, there's no thought, I'm in mindfulness. There's no separate thing. Separate thing as samadhi means um, belief in the belief in the conceptual process, the conceptualization of samadhi or mindfulness, I would say, or unity. So the one that says I'm in one in unity is the one who believes that that concept is applicable. That concept is not unity. That's a concept of a perception. It's a conceptualization of the perception, oh, I think all's one. Well, that's already dualism because there's the subject and the object. The subject is I who's making this, who's having this perception, so I believe, and the object of perception (laughs) called uh, perception of unity. The perception of unity is the object to the, per- to the imagined subject who's the perceiver of the unity, which is the object. That's called dualism. That's not unity. And so 
for the one who's always in samadhi, there's no separate thing as samadhi. They don't think I'm in samadhi. For the one in mindfulness, they don't think I'm in mindfulness. For the one in unity, they don't think I'm in unity. That's what it means. <laughs> and no such separate thing as. No such, no, no generation of the intrinsically dualistic separative concept that labels the experience. For them, it's always samadhi. Absolute samadhi. Absolute means uh, transconceived, non-conceptual. Samadhi and Shiva, fine, fine, all these different concepts. Samadhi of the inner merging of mind, right. <clears throat> the, the monastic function has been merged in the buddhic, but the buddhic is not generating thought form, the thought form of discernment. The, the monastic merged buddhi has dissolved into a non-proliferative um, experience of, of unbound chit. And that's called samadhi, or ever in samadhi, as far as I can tell, which is not going to be conceived as such for the one there. That's an inner merging of mind. Mind merge with mind. <laughs> um, functions of mind merge with the nature of mind. Ah, the functioning, the, the mental functioning is quiescent into um, uh, an experience of true nature prior or independent of function. Now, you can say there is some functioning. The functioning would be known later. The, the absolute samadhi, where there's intermerging of mind, there is no mind. That's why in Buddhism, that's a traditional view of enlightenment. No mind. There was a school called No Mind, actually, or something like that, in China, I believe, or the Mahayanists. So this is akin to absolute samadhi, uh, inner merging of mind with what? With its true nature. How can it merge? Well, silence leads the way. It's, it's not even a merging. It's basically um, a returning, a, 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 a stilling of monastic function and body leading to samadhi, one-pointedness, leading to silence of mind, a steady state, or a non-proliferative mind which leads to the condition of what, what appears to be emerging, but is basically the revelation of chit beyond um, its functioning uh, monastic and buddhi. To those who are always immersed in the sugar of yana realization, sugar is not something separate. Right, so they're not saying, I am realized. For them, then, also, external action has no importance. <laughs> Whether they do or don't do doesn't matter. Ra said, um, something like for the energy of service to others is automatic at the energy liberated by, which is a weird phrase, something like that. Service to others or that service, whatever you may think it is, uh, is automatic or happens without effort, without intention. At the energy liberated by or at the point when the upward spiraling light meets the inner light at six chakra. So when there's six chakra activation in a big way, one, the one, is operative from um, the Sri Dakash, the Chit Dakash, the sky of um, <clears throat> awareness uh, of six chakra, of unity, which is absolute samadhi, when it's you know not temporary. 
which is an absolute samadhi that would never be named as such as samadhi. And in that, um, services, service to others, or whatever we think that is, um, love, wisdom, radiance, love, wisdom, sharing, offering, is automatic uh, when there's energy, when there is that six chakra activation, which is the union of the upward spiraling light, uh, shakti, <laughs> with the indwelling light, the polaris, uh, shak- uh, shiva, at the crown. It's meeting at the sixth chakra. And that's the bridge or shuttle to a gateway to intelligent infinity. That's access to intelligent energy, sixth chakra. Six, seven bridge, the shuttle shuttle gateway to intelligent infinity, seven, six to seven. And um, external action has no importance, but he did a hell of a lot of external action, Nityananda. His whole life was letting people come to him asking for stuff (laughs) and granting them much. So, it doesn't have importance, but he's not rejecting any of it. In fact, his external action was far greater than all of us combined. <laughs> his external action was of thousands, or ten, I guess, tens of thousands of people came his way, crossed his path during his lifetime, by his allowance of it, by their magnetism, attraction to what he was, what he is, and their desire to get something from him. <laughs> he didn't stop it. He didn't run away. He could have disappeared. So while external action has no importance, he gave himself fully to a form of external action, uh, being available for darshan, for miracle making, for gift giving, for service, for decades, <laughs> to tens of thousands of people. <clears throat> so that's what external action has no... That the manifestation of external action has no importance. <laughs> so... So I have no importance doesn't mean uh, turning away from it. It means it's not valued in and of itself. I guess. You know, you can figure it out yourself. You know, your views are as valid as mine. So while he can say that that one <clears throat> always immersed in samadhi who has no, um, who doesn't think of samadhi as a separate thing from what I is or he or that one there is, while external action <clears throat> is not valued, um, there's pretty, pretty weighty, mighty surrender <clears throat> of his life path to service to others. So, with that, we'll end for today. Next time, I'll pick up at the bottom of 97 and read the massive uh, verse that goes all the way to 102. Uh, then, some commentary on it. And probably the week after, some more commentary on it. Then the week after, uh, conclude with the the verse that uh, goes through 103. And then comment, comment on that. And then do some more comments on the whole book. And then maybe even do a, a long reading of many pages um, without my interrupting. So, in any case, I hope that was helpful. It's beautiful material and he's a beautiful, high, high being that rarely comes to planet Earth, rarely comes to this octave, actually. He may well have been a manifestation of the, of the uh, Logos, a real avatar. So, in any case, thank you. I hope you're well. Take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.